Welcome back to NLP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Today's podcast is powered by our Young Professional Network partner, Steel. Steel makes a full line of gasoline and battery-powered outdoor power equipment for the demanding landscape professional. Find yours at steelusa.com. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Miles Caparis from Include Software, Brett Lemke from RM Landscape, and Macy Wallenberg with Landcare. How's it going today? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Awesome. I'm not too bad. A brisk, brisk morning here in Dallas. It's brisk like about no, like 80. No, no, no. Let's qualify that, okay? Because you can't say that in the fall in New York. So what is brisk for you, Mason? It was 46 yesterday, all day, the high all day. And uh, today it's getting up. So we're up to 53 today and sunny. So it is beautiful today. Brisk. Geez, that's, that was our highs. And we're now, well, we woke up to 29 this morning. See okay. that. That's not even brisk. That's just cold. That was, that's I, that that's, was that's really cold. Yeah. yeah, it's here. Winter has arrived. It's thirty. It was thirty nine here in DC earlier this morning for most of the day. Now it's like in the fifties. So, oh uh, wow, uh, you guys are as warm as us. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we're. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, I'm I'm liking the weather. It's beautiful out. So, um, all good. I saw a friend in Traverse City that it snowed up there. So you guys are probably going to get it soon, right, Brett? It's here. It snowed in the southern hills around us, and so um, we're excited. We the snow. We're ready for the snow, sort of. So, but we have our guest is from Texas, so she she yes. don't care about the snow or hopes that that doesn't happen. And Macy's excited. There's another Texan on the call, and Shahara Downing is the founder of Levelcom and specializes in creating engaging communication, training, and educate and empower corporate professionals to effectively contribute, collaborate, and connect. She is an international corporate trainer and facilitator. Her mission is to is to elevating communication to making human interaction effortless. Shahara has been working with the corporate companies for 15 years and has been training, trained thousands of work working professionals in, internationally. Uh, Shahara is, has a, a bachelor's from Indiana University, Bloomington, and an MS from Roosevelt University. Welcome. How are you? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. What's up, Shahara? How are you? I'm great, Miles. <laughs> That's great. And, and, cool. and Shahara, you were a uh, a speaker at Landscapes not just a few weeks back. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of joining uh, tons of awesome, enthusiastic professionals from your network, and we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and it was it was a great time. We had an amazing panel, um, a great group of people, and everyone was like super active, you know, like everyone had something to contribute. So it was a great time. Did you moderate the panel or what was it? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I moderated the panel and then we had um, three other professionals that were on the panel as well. Um, And so I contributed some, but I mostly just kind of facilitated the conversation, fielding the questions from the audience um, and really honestly, just making sure that people had tangible, clear kind of call to actions or steps that they can walk away with so that they can actually like make their initiatives more robust or if they're really, you know, at the, at the ground level trying to lift off diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, like they can walk away and say, oh, I've got a resource or, oh, I've got a, a person that I can contact or here's a case study. So um, it was really just about making sure that people walk out of the room feeling like they have something more that can help them in their efforts. Yeah, I think well, having, I- oh, sorry, go ahead, Brett. 
Yeah, I was just say that I think this is something to dig into because um, I heard it was well attended. I was talking mm-hmm. to a few folks and it, and it had a good crowd. And and I heard you did like a, a burning uh, question sort of piece there and people had a lot of questions to bring up. And so, you know, for those that not, some of us that couldn't make that session, I mean, it might be able to this might be a good time to sort of really go through some of that elements of it. And uh, if that's the breadth of our industry and some of the best of our industry asking the right questions. So I think our audience needs to hear some of those. Yeah, I, I think one of the funniest questions, and uh, we it was kind of impromptu, people wrote down uh, their question on a piece of paper, and then we kind of organized them. And one of them is like, how can we get people to understand that women can actually like use a hammer, or, or, or it was something like that, right? And um, that question, even though it was funny in how it was written, it really kind of encapsulated just the greater question of not just diversity in the space of, of race, but diversity in the space of gender. And I think the but that's something that I learned as I kind of stepped into the world of landscaping professionals and then saying like, okay, yeah, where are the women and the women are Mm. here. And so how can we make the women that are here more involved and more visible? And then the second part of that is how can we invite more women or how can we make this industry look like or feel like or actually be a place that's inviting for other women? So um, that was definitely one of the questions. And we had a champion. I don't remember the name of Chewy's company. I don't remember his last name, but Chewy was like the champion of all champions when he gave a great story about um, a, a lady at his company that he elevated to the top and and he just was like, we have to do this. And then we have to educate the men and tell the men straight up, like, yeah, she got the position because she's basically better than you. <laughs> so she's more qualified. She does a better job. So uh, that's wow. that's an example of just some of the questions that were fielded, but that was that was just a great conversation too, you know, and, and, and other companies kind of gave some examples of the things that they're doing uh, in order to make their company more enticing or um, for it to appear as if like, Hey, we want to welcome women into our workforce. That's a, uh, was it Chewy's with Coquel? And um, That's I don't know what company, but you must know who yeah, I'm talking Coquel. about. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he's a, he's a dynamic guy. And, uh, and, uh, and, built, and has a wonderful company out there. And so that's mm-hmm. that's great to hear those stories. And and I suppose we need more of those stories, right? Because it's really happening. Yeah, it is an area where we all have lots of questions and say, I don't know how, where do we start? But yet in our industry, it's starting, it's happening. And we got to just sort of promote those uh, at a higher level. So that, I'm glad yeah. that story came out. And the thing that I thought that um, Chewy kind of exemplified, now this isn't something that he actually said, but if we were to learn from his example is quite frankly, don't be afraid of the people in your organization, right? Like don't be afraid of them because I think he had to stand up. He had to kind of like, you know, stand his ground. He had to deal with the negative consequences of, of kind of like the backlash, you know, like, the, the good old boy system, like his, where the fellas at, right? And, and, and they started to feel like, oh my God, how could you do this to us? How could you do this to us? Like that's kind of the sentiment, right? And then he had to just make it really plain. Like she shows up on time. She's efficient. She's thorough. She's detailed, you know, like she's better than you. And I think that example takes a lot of courage to really run the risk of being an outsider, not being well-liked 
not not being not your decisions not being liked by the masses right and i think that listening to him more so exemplified the amount of courage that's necessary and and how you have to really embrace being a disruptor if you're going to actually shake up the status quo Well, what did you learn? Uh, I mean, was there, did you do a lot of research or maybe there isn't that much of a difference from say our industry uh, in where we go from, we have say the corporate entities to the workforce um, and that range and in your experiences, is there any aha moments you had about what we have to deal with compared to others or are we all just the same and we all have to work together? I think it's all kind of the same and we all have to work together. But I, I think that one, one thing that I, didn't really know, and I think that this is probably the responsibility of the entire industry, is telling a new story as to what the landscaping industry all entails. And I think that um, from the outside looking in, and when I say the outside, we're talking about college graduates, we're talking about high school graduates looking to go move into the workforce. Um, we're talking about, you know, just professionals in general, having a very narrow minded view or understanding as to what the landscaping industry all entails. And it can be much sexier, right? I think that that was just a, a, converse, a couple of conversations that I had that it's not just lawn care, <laughs> right? It goes beyond Amen. that. Um, and it was, it was very new to me to understand that like, oh, there are different segments, there are different arenas, there are different, and, and, it, and it still kind of has this corporate feel rather than it just feeling like everything is mom and pop or everything is just about planting flowers and soil. You know, like landscaping is design too, you know? <laughs> so I think that one thing that I've learned uh, from the industry and, and perhaps one collective call to action is how are we reframing what landscaping is in in the space of how it compares or how it's you know differentiated from other industries and giving it a new face giving it and I know people probably hear about like avatars and things like that you know when you're doing marketing um but you know what's the new face of 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 of, of landscaping you know like people don't even know. So they, so people are having a hard time recruiting. People are having a hard time getting people interested into, in the industry. And when you're going up against the MailChimps and the Spotify's and the Googles and the Facebooks or the Metas now of the world, you know, it, it's how can you really change the conversation so that people feel like, oh, that's a place that I actually feel like I could enter into. So I think that that was the overall, just from, you know, the little bit that I was able to, you know, at the fly on the wall listening. <laughs> but I think a part of that solution definitely is getting better. I mean, it's definitely a weakness, I think, in, um, in our industry too, is like being a lot more intentional about, you know, diversity um, and, uh, you know, equity inclusion type topics uh, and, and expanding like who, who we welcome into this industry. I mean, I think there's almost like, Brett, you probably agree with this, but like, there's probably like a point of like, it's by necessity now where people are like, yeah, we can take anybody who's capable and, you know, and, and, but also, um, I, I, I don't know, I, I, Shahara, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, just kind of like, uh, interested on like what your ideas were about like tactically, how do you attract people that, 
maybe just see landscaping as like a whole bunch of white dudes or like, <laughs> like, you know, just like running these businesses, which can be like, how do you, how do you, how do you, I don't know. I feel like young professionals have the chance of creating that new opportunity. Well, well throw, throw this in there. Macy, right. She's a branch manager down in Texas. Right. And so what did you experience Macy? And I, and I think even context for Tara that to say you, your past, right. From when you were outside looking in, what did you see and how did people, you know, say, wait, wait, you want to be a landscaper? What was that mm-hmm. like for you, Macy? <laughs> I, I mean, I got the exact reaction from my mom whenever I told her I was getting my degree in it in college. But I think the biggest shock now is that when I do introduce myself, I think a lot of people think I'm the business developer. You know, I'm the mm-hmm. person that's coming to try to sell the job, smooth the people, entertain everyone. And I introduce myself as the branch manager. And without a doubt, almost every single time, it's a look of shock especially when it's an older manager, even a woman, but the woman gets excited. They're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And very few men get that excitement of like, wow, this is awesome. This is so progressive. Like, this is great for the industry. It's great to see someone young and a female that's doing this. Um, so it's still, I wish we could get past that trend of that look of shock. Um, Cause it's kind of defeating, no matter how proud you are of yourself it is still defeating when they give you that look of like, Oh, well, I don't know if they could be doing that. Um, so I think it just takes a big push to get through that and being confident in what you're doing as a young professional, whether you're a 25 year old male or a 30 year old woman leading that team, it's still a tough position to be in and having that confidence and doing it um, and having supporters, you know, like the Bretts and, uh, like the Marianis, like having people like that are supporting dreams and uh, investing in the future of these young professionals. Mm-hmm. And I, I, as you were talking, I, I don't know what made me think about this, but like we've all been on the dating scene, right? I think we've all been there so sometime. Huh, what? <laughs> Miles don't, is like, don't oh. remind me, cheese. <laughs> but I, you know. I look at it as two things and it's almost, it's, it's like dating, right? And there's an aspect of what you have to do, meaning what the industry has to do. You have to make yourself look attractive. You got to stay in shape. You got to stay current. You got to think about your outfit. You got to think about your hair. You got to make sure, you know, you, I don't know, you've got good hygiene and, and stuff like that, right? So there is the industry maintenance that's necessary in order to make yourself look attractive. Right. And and so we can talk a little bit more about what it means to make yourself look attractive. And I think that goes a little bit more into just opening up people's eyes to seeing the the variety of, of the industry and it not just being pigeonholed into just this one schematic, because that many people may not want to enter into that. I think the second part of it is, is once you got yourself looking good and smelling good and looking attractive, it, it's not enough. Like us ladies, men, we can't just look good in our house. I mean, people talk about this with women all the time. What do you think that you're just going to find your husband because the, the, the cable guy comes or the plumber comes to fix your stuff? The man isn't just going to break into your house. You got to get out there. So once the industry looks attractive and, you know, then outreach, you have to put yourself where the people are that you want to date, that you want to court. And we did talk about this and there was one lady there, I forget her name, and she's really eager to invite, for example, more people of color. And and so 
one of the panelists had mentioned, go out to the job fairs of the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities in your city. Find out what their career development department is doing. Find out where their next career fair is. Find out what their professional organizations are. Like there's the, the usually the, at any predominantly white institution, I went to Indiana University, but we had like a black student union. And so then sometimes there's organizations even within that community where they would host like, you know, panels. Go be the person that sits on the panel. And so it's, it's one thing to now, when you show up at that panel and now you're talking about the variety in the industry, the opportunities in the industry and how it goes beyond just kind of like what you may have known, people are like, oh, I never really even thought about looking at the landscaping industry because I'm in marketing. Like marketing, like maybe people think of John Deere, you know, but what else is included? So when you put the two of those together, you're looking good, you're smelling good, you're looking attractive, you know you have a story to tell that's going to sound attractive to a new audience, you have to take that to the people. You can't just sit there and, and, and wait for it. And I think that we also expect for it to happen overnight or to like, oh my goodness, I go to one job fair and now I got six black people working at the company now. Like it ain't gonna happen that fast. You know how many times you have to swipe left on Bumble in order to get the right match? <laughs> Miles, do you know? Ah. I don't know that. I, 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 sorry, I'm not I telling you. I'm not going okay. to. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I have to say no officially if Denise, my wife, is yes. yeah. But I think that you also have to anticipate that you show up on a yearly basis. You find, you know, three or four different universities and then you partner. They know that they can call on you so that when people come in, you know. And so I think those are the two things that when you when you want to not only just attract diverse talent, it's now what makes you attractive. Let's count, let's, let's consider that. And for a company, it's um, kind of redefining how we understand your industry, but then also uh, redefining what your company culture is. And, and then actually not just depending on looking good, you can be the most attractive person, but you can't just depend on that. You then have to put yourself in these places to where people are going to be able to say, oh, that does look good. Um, and, and so that was one of the responses uh, or one of the kind of like the, the options, you know, the suggestions, piece of advice that was offered from the panel. Um, and I think that that's something, a, a way to think about it. And I think that if you look at it as dating, you look at it as courting, then maybe it's a little more fun and it doesn't feel as stressful or daunting as I got to get more black people. I got to get more women because I know that's ultimately what it comes down to. So just some thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little thought I, to think I about just, everybody. Yeah, this yeah. is just to take this. And, yeah, uh, well, it, I I could appreciate that. And if that was a discussion at the landscape uh, session, I mean, that's a, a huge call to action. And those sort of that grip and, and the examples of it. And it can be that easy, right? It, it, we, I think everybody always wants to complicate processes and systems and say, well, we got to think this way or that way, but it is just that easy. And it's just taking those couple steps forward. Um, mm -hmm. And and then, you know, I think, right, that general assessment, as I continue to be part of these conversations, I look around us and say, are we acting that way, but not, you know, are we not showing it? Are we doing this? And where are we scoring uh, you know, my self-assessment saying I'm happy or where are we last? And so it, it's that awareness of, of where it is. And, and I appreciate, I think the constant, uh, points of connection to say, uh, are you thinking about it? Cause I, I got to think that those, 
that, you know, the diversity in our company is thinking about it and are we acting in their best interests and, and how do we uh, sort of call that out for them? Because um, maybe they're not, maybe we've not made a safe culture enough for them to say, this is what I would like to see here too. And, but yet I think it, but yet I haven't, I don't know if I've done enough to ask those kind of questions. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned again, Brett, just like the, the culture, the company culture and going back to kind of this uh, um, analogy of, of dating, uh, understanding company culture is like what you do when you go to therapy. It's the internal work, you know, it's the self-awareness. It's, you know, perhaps bringing in people who can kind of see you and understand you, um, you know, like someone looking from the outside in, which is why there are a ton of like, um, you know, DEI type third party organizations that come in and, and really like assess, you know, what you got going on, what your limitations are, what your opportunities are. Um, but when your company culture is like your spirit, it's your soul. And if it's broken, if, if it's if it's still doing um, operating in habits or procedures that no longer serve the direction that you want to take the company, then you have to you have to go to therapy. You know, you have to break down some of those old things that, you know, may not serve you into the space that you're desiring to step into. Um, but culture has a lot to do with it because let's say you do become more attractive and then you do the outreach and now you are bringing more people in. Um, how, how do, you know, women and minorities feel coming into a company and they're like, Oh, you did a great job of finding me. You did a great job of courting me. You got to give it. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's like, ooh, I'm, I'm hit with maybe some of these roadblocks of not being able to bring my authentic self or um, or culture that just isn't as welcoming or inviting or, or open, you know, and and sometimes it, it comes down to smaller places uh, of microaggressions and an and unconscious bias, which are other things that come into play. But, you know, culture is a big part of that. And so you know, is your, is your house in order when you're welcoming new guests? That's a good question. I like that. I like that analogy. It's a good one, but, um, hey, oops, sorry. Good. I was just going to say, I think, uh, the, the, when you, the, when they get there, I'm starting to say in my the analogy was now you're married. Right. And I'm like, you learn a lot about that person and, and I'm very happy as again, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm on air. Right. So, but it becomes a little yeah. bit more, wait, wait, that's where you put your clothes in the living, in the hamper. Yes. Oh, so it's like, uh, now you gotta go to marriage counseling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate the dating to marriage analogy. Cause that one yes. you know, resonates very well with, and I think it would have everybody. <laughs> Um, uh, but it seems like your work is like around, um, about communicating and, and, and can you, so can you tell us more about that? Because this all feels pretty, I mean, like, it, it just feels like all, like what it, the discussion is trying to, it's all this stuff is related. Right. I mean, yeah. really like it's kind and, of and symptoms of. Yeah. And here's the thing, like I am not, and I always tell people this, I told Kim, like when we first got introduced, I'll tell anybody. I am not your traditional diversity, equity, inclusion professional. Okay. I don't have any certifications. I didn't go to school for it. I, my biggest certification is I am a black woman and I actually have worked quite some time in the corporate space and have been able to watch from the outside looking in. Um, but of course, when uh, George Floyd 
made headlines and um, everyone that it was a much larger call to action. And I think that also because people were, were working from home, it, it allowed more opportunity for people to say, damn, what are we doing? Oh, we ain't doing nothing. Well, maybe we should try to do something. And then you don't want to look like the person or the company while everybody's out doing this, that, and the other. You don't want to look like the company that's not doing something, right? So really, I think that diversity and equity inclusion has gotten, unfortunately and fortunately, um, a, a spotlight shone, being shined on it. Um, and now people are doing it because they don't want to look racist. They don't want to look, they don't want to look like it. So we got to do something. And then that's where I came in, right? Like, oh, you did some communication stuff. You got anything DEI? You got anything DEI? You got something? You got something? <laughs> and so for me, I was like, no, I don't. Um, but then I had to step back and I said to myself, where does, where does exclusivity, where is it rooted in company culture? And I thought to myself that it happens most times when people who work in color, I mean, who work in corporate, who are, are people of color feel ostracized or feel dismissed or feel gaslighted. How is it, what is the vehicle that puts that out there? It's through language. It's through how we're communicating with one another. It's the fact that we're not communicating with one another. And, and so I had to, I stepped into a space of how can I provide people with clear, call to actions, clear tactical things that you can do, not, not the whole company. I'm talking to you person. I'm talking to you, Brett. I'm talking to you, Miles. I'm talking to you, Kim. I'm talking to you, Casey. Like, what can you do um, to kind of take ownership of this space of activism? Because it's not just, it's not just corporate responsibility. This is, this is social and racial in, in, inequities that are pouring into corporate culture. So you're really, when you're combating, you know, uh, divisive language, you're also combating, you know, the consequences and residue of racism. And so, but that could feel so big and it could feel so heavy. And I always say, I jokingly said, you know, to all my will and white people out there, you know, like, this is heavy. This is tough. I know because I've been living it, but there's, there's something that we can all do to take responsibility for it. And that's when I decided where in our language and our communication is, are, are, is racism kind of rearing its old and ugly head. And, and it's in microaggressions and uh, unconscious bias, right? We come into it with these um, already made stereotypes or conclusions, and we don't realize how it guides some of our decision-making. Um, microaggressions and the way that we say things or the way that we don't say things, you know, those are the things that will continue to keep people feeling ostracized and excluded. And that is the antithesis of, of an inclusive workplace. So when I was called by some of my clients to offer you know, support and solutions. That's the angle that I took with it. So I had put together originally a workshop called the How to Be Anti-Racist Game Show. And uh, it was trivia. And, but it was, it was, it's the only way that I know how to do things. And that is to include a little bit of humor um, and, and not to make light of serious issues, but we have to overcome so many hurdles just to get to the conversation. 
So what can I remove so that the conversation at least starts to happen? And so it, it basically is just an entry level education on what unconscious bias is and also what our microaggressions are and what they look like and how they show up. And then it leaves people with the clear things that they know that they can take personal responsibility of doing in order to combat those things when they see them, experience them, or hear them happening in the workplace. Um, and it brings it very down to these small things that you can do, but make a big difference in the space of how you're creating the spirit and the soul of your company, which is your culture. It is such a personal thing, and I, I I relate well to the the that humor or the show the game show because it just breaks in right, and so everyone has a different sort of point of where it'll where it'll allow them to sort of engage in it, and so but I like those things, and then it, it just breaks it down to say, well, we're, I'm getting comfortable, we're more relaxed, but let's, let's start talking about it. But you have to bring up something about yourself in a setting that could be in large groups or even within your your own office space. It's that you have to share and you just need that something that just pry it out of you and, and bring everybody at the same level of the conversation rather than, you know, the spotlight is on you, Brett, what are you going to say? And we're going to hold you very accountable to whatever comes out of your mouth. No, let's, let's level that off. So I, I, you know, I suppose it works for me. Maybe it's not for everybody that the humor point, uh, up, but I, I like, I like that or the games or just that, that those breakout moments. No one's, no one's yelled at me yet. So um, I presume that, you know, carry forward, carry on then, right? Let's keep everybody's going. Everybody's kind of been like, that worked. And I'm like, okay, good. Um, but I think that it's just recognizing also where, where people are. And it's there, uh, the call to actions in that workshop. I have some for people who have done the diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, uh, trainings. They've done this. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Like, they're ready to yell. They're ready to really be that disruptor. And then you have people who are like, what the, I'm, I was almost cursed. Like, what the hell? Like, um, what? We talking about this still? You know, like, cause we have, we have those people. And because it's not directly affecting them, it's like, they don't have a sense of urgency. However, you know, that sense of urgency is, is if you have, you know, Kim, a colleague who's sitting right next to you, and then there's an, another white male who totally dismisses her. Man, I tell you the power that you have, Brett, the power that you have, Miles, to go to him and say, dude, that's not cool. Like, you totally, like, she said it, and then you walked over her and then took what she said, reworded it, and tried to act like it was your own. Like, what, what's going on to the fact that you couldn't just respect what Kim had to say? What's up, bro? And that type of power. Now, can I be the fly in on the wall in that conversation? Like, yeah, go Miles, go Brett. You know, you know. And I think that when you don't know that you're that you have that power, or you're not empowered to use it, then it goes unused. And and now you still continue to think that you don't have a part to play, but you do have a part to play. And that's where the, the advocacy comes into play. I know we hear the word ally all the time. Um, and it, that is the word, but it's more so I'm going to be an advocate for someone else. Let me let me speak on someone else's behalf. Uh, Macy, I think you that's funny. That. That's not the. Yeah, yeah I saw the first time that I heard that is like instead of being an ally, like be an advocate. We've heard, I've heard that multiple times this year. And I think it's such a powerful statement. And so much more meaning than just being a supporter. Ally is more of just 
you know, you got this, you know, who wrote advocate is being that person that is going, like you're saying, like going to that boss or going to the head of HR at the company saying this is an issue for somebody else without telling them it's, you know, being an advocate is way more of a team player than just being an ally. It's that next step. Have you experienced that Macy and advocates in your career or life? Um, anything that would pop in your head? Definitely. Um, I have, you know, my main, one of my main bosses that I have, he's, you know, been the biggest supporter and he, he is very supportive of women in the industry. Um, but he's always there. He's always pushing forward. You know, something happens and, you know, he's my advocate of the learning, but mine's more from a younger professional situation uh, to have an advocate for. I think I am personally just a very strong woman. And I, I know that I want to be in the landscape industry. You know, I, I know this is for sure what I want to do. So I have less of a problem with the stereotypes that always happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you don't have an advocate standing behind you, it, it makes life pretty miserable when you're a woman in the landscaping industry. Um, so, I mean, and I would, I would love to be that advocate for anybody that is struggling with that. Obviously everyone has my stuff information on here and I hope that everyone that's on this podcast could be an advocate for somebody. Um, but it, it's definitely needed. We don't, we talk a ton about mentoring and, and, and we think yeah. of that as a, you know, that professional track or, you know, and, and, and mentors can be lots of things, but I think this is the first time we've heard it in the, in a context, I think that's even more powerful and, and it expands beyond just helping someone grow in a career, but it's just that advocating, advocating and in, in life and business, like the power that that could have. And so, I, and, and as you know, you raise, as I raised three young kids, what that impression leaves on them. And then, and not only then again, with your coworkers or the companies that we run, how does that, uh, what kind of impression does that leave there? So it, yeah, that's a call to action. I think to everybody in the listening today, you know, how are you advocating uh, for the people that are within your team or within your life? Another thing that it made me think about all of a sudden I saw us go to a high school lunchroom, right? And in that high school lunchroom, we see all of these cliques. We see the jocks, we see the theater people, we see the uh, popular people, the nerds, the emos, like, like you, you see the poor people, you got the rich people, like you, then, you, then you got, then everybody else broke it up into race some type of way, you know, like, and it, it begs me to think about, you know, the power of when that one popular girl or that one popular guy stood up for the person who was getting talked about or bullied, you know, when, when you're friends and you're like, dude, chill out, like totally not necessary. And then everybody's like, all right, cool, cool. And then you look at the person who was being bullied and be like, cool, cool. Like, it's not even a, it's not, it, it, but it's such a big deal. And then there's, there's a respect that was just shown someone respected the other person's humanity. And then when that popular person doesn't feel seen or doesn't, isn't appreciated for their gifts or their talents beyond just being popular and someone else notices it and says, oh, you know what, Shahara, she actually knows this way better than I do. I don't know why y'all just think I'm the only one who knows this, this info, like Shahara. And then I get an opportunity to voice the intellect in my mind, like 
that's done in a microcosm in high school. The other ask of this, taking it outside of, you know, race and taking it outside of gender is how are you using your, how are you leveraging your social capital to advocate for someone else who doesn't have the same type of social capital as you? So this could be about you've been with the company longer. That means you have, you have power in, in leveraging your social capital to support someone else. Um, you have a special type of experience that you just brought to the company. Like you were a star at another company and now you're, everyone's kind of excited that you're at this company, right? Like that's a way to do it. Um, you know, the people who have elevated me the most had some type of social capital advantage over me. And whenever I can, I've had mentors that were middle-aged white men who got me into more rooms than sometimes my very well-invested, you know, black executive woman could get, could do for me. Cause people, he could convince more people just by being, you know, who he is, you know? And so that social capital may be predicated in the fact that he's, you know, older, more experienced white guy, but that social capital really comes down to the fact that there's a network of people who trust what you have to say. And then when you vouch for me and it's like, no, Shahara, she's, she's the truth. Go ahead. Book her, get, get her in. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. I have to answer way less questions than if I came on the referral of somebody else. And so I think that that's another way of looking at how are we lifting, like that's, that is what creates an inclusive workplace when you know that someone has your back and they're using what they already have and that could be their social capital. So that, that's a, even another way to kind of look at how to be an advocate by using your social, your, your social capital. Yeah, there's like two parts of that discussion um, which is interesting from like a implementation in a company, right? It's like one, you have to have like a management culture that mm -hmm. makes it known to the people that below them that they have their back, right? Honestly, I mean, and then the other part is, is that the people who need to know that management or like their leaders have their back so that way they do go out and speak out, right? And they, they speak out in confidence that they have that backup, right? Because like, I'm, I'm very non-confrontational, right? So this is like my thing, like where um, I've learned these lessons like over the past year uh, and being more confrontational and more confident when it, it comes to people being respected or, um, or, or, or saying what's on my mind. So this has always been like a more difficult thing for me just in the broader sense. But uh, what I've learned and what you, everyone's saying, it's like, you got to trust that respecting somebody else versus disrespecting is the right choice. And then it just... You, you gotta, gotta trust that. And that, and that's gotta give you the confidence because it does take a lot of confidence. I feel, um, sometimes it comes natural for other people who are like more like aggressive, but like, for me, it's like, it's like, felt like this a cliff. I was like walking over, like if I was like going to speak out against something or stand up for somebody that I care about or, um, make that choice. It's like, I'm going to like, something's going to happen to me. Right. But in reality, that's not what happens. So it's not, that's not the, that's not the reality of when you take the action. So, um, so it's all really interesting stuff that, uh, that we're talking about and yeah, but uh, yeah, at it the individual a, level, it's just the confidence. Yeah. Go ahead. It requires a tremendous amount of practice and it, you know, yeah, it, that's the other thing mm -hmm. it is. Uh, I see it within the organization and it's not, 
it's a, even about uh, just moments of, well, somebody needs to pick up that garbage. And then the email goes out, everybody needs to pick up their garbage better, right? And But there's no action behind that. It's just throwing things up in the air and see who catches it. And versus that person that's showing that they're doing that. And I, tomorrow I'm going to be out there picking up garbage. Who's going to join me kind of statement. And it's it, it, it requires a lot of thinking beyond just... Um, I say it, which means I'm in it, right? Or even doing it, but not saying it. Well, well, this person is my friend, but you don't say it ever. You don't speak about that. You don't promote that. Then you 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 lose that ability to advocate because that voice has something to do with it too. And so it's, I I, I think of it on that full capture moment. And 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 for us, it's just like, how do you get people to just get on board with, uh, like doing a good job every day, right? You go lead by example, talk, communicate, train, and all those pieces. And so it just taking that and putting that into this world of inclusion and that advocating world and, um, and, 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 you know, one even small miss probably has a dramatic effect mm-hmm. saying, no, no, it wasn't a big deal that I didn't say anything in that moment. No, so that is a big measure. So you, it seems like you gotta be really on this thing a lot. Yeah. And you do. And, and it is, it's like, I'm talking about the tip of the iceberg and then there's the entire iceberg underneath the water, right? But um, it's, it's, I, I still like to put, um, I like to speak to the individual, you know, like for me, it's, it's what, are your, what are your kind of your guiding principles? You know, what's the, what's the thing that you could be doing differently that you feel like you can take responsibility for? Because, you know, when we're talking about diversity, inclusion, equity in the workplace, it's, it is, it's not only just vision and culture, but it's, it also has to come down to what are we instituting? What policies are we changing? What practices, how can we measure this? And I think that I just did a a training uh, yesterday for um, a group of uh, music professionals, and they're all coming from different organizations from Spotify to BMG, BMI, all over the place. And um, we were talking about change, change management, and um, talking about the difference between, you know, leadership change, you know, leading change, and then also managing change. And this is getting into like, this is where, this is where I start to step away, right? This is like, oh, I got to go because I can't really tell you how to implement the structure or the policy change or whatever. But um, I think that's where the leadership change is really about, it's about the vision. It's about establishing the direction. It's about um, aligning people. It's about motivating and kind of inspiring people. And, and for me, I feel like when I'm working with clients, when I'm working with companies, I'm working from the space of leadership change. Like how, what's, what's the ultimate vision? And how can we empower people just in, you know, individual choices to, to kind of add momentum to that change? But then I also say it's not going to be enough if you're not rethinking how your what your hiring practices are, or if you're not really thinking about what you're um, how you're bringing up leadership, if you're not intentionally uh, supporting leadership um, amongst marginalized groups, if you're not um, re evaluating the pay scale as to why women are still, even though we see the research, why women are still traditionally and most times paid less than our peers. It's like, that is still a part of the infrastructure that needs to be changed. So 
You know, I think that when I approach it and when I approach a conversation like this, it is, I'm talking to y'all as individuals, you know, um, and then as you start to really um, embrace it and really be like, oh, okay, this is something that we can do. Like change can be made. Then I say, go hire somebody if you don't have the infrastructure within your own company. Because I know there are a lot of smaller companies that don't have a whole department to dedicate to this space. But, you know, there are are definitely resources out there so that if you want to bring in third party organizations to then help with the structural changes to support the leadership change, I think that that's kind of a, a direction that you can go with it. So I think this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I put it in this one th- big strategic uh, thought or, and, and really just uh, your, your, um, your perspective. Optimistic about the, where the direction uh, we're going uh, requires work, right? I heard loud and clear today that requires work. I, I think about, again, I think about my kids and how they think of the world compared to us, but there's eventually they're going to hit these, this grind in this societal world that's going to, take their innocence and just rob them from like how they see the world. But I, but you know, that's not a really optimistic thought, but uh, there's a reality part of it. Right. (laughs) But are, you know, what, what gets you more optimistic and excited uh, that it's working? And I don't even know what that is, but Mm -hmm. that, but it's working. I feel you. Um, I, I am naturally optimistic. I am an optimistic person, right? So you're talking to someone who's always going to see the glass half full. And I believe that it's working because I don't know, I read energy, you know, I, I can, I can see the faces and the fact that I can sit alongside two white men and like, just now Kim, Casey, we be, we be, we talk all the time. Right. So we're cool. You know, um, not, not to say that you know, it's, it's always going to be, I'm always going to be at odds with white men, but I think that we're on the opposite sides of the scale sometimes. Right. And, and I think that what keeps me optimistic is knowing that I can walk away and, and have conversations like this, that I was invited, you know, that, that even in the space of me saying some of these things, not once did I ever feel like I said anything that you two were going to be offended by. Now, maybe after it's all said and done, maybe you had a good poker face and you'd be like, oh, that girl, can't <laughs> even bring her uh, I, I, have the, I have the worst poker face. <laughs> but I really don't feel like that was, that's the sentiment of this conversation. And I do feel optimistic that if ever given an opportunity again, we could continue this conversation. And so I, I just hope that um, people are greeted with opportunities to talk to people and have conversations to understand other people's perspectives. Um, and, but then also to lead those conversations with a space of uh, empathy. Like, I, 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 I feel for you, you know, like that is, it's tough being on either side. So I think that's what keeps me optimistic that there still are people willing to have these conversations in spite of how overwhelming, you know, the end goal may seem like getting to accomplish, right? Or no matter how uncomfortable, like one of the things that I always say is, you know, if you're uncomfortable, then yeah, you're, you're headed in the right direction. You know, if you say something, 
and then you feel a little uncomfortable afterwards, like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Good, good. At least now you're starting to recognize, you know, like it's it's a big difference to just move through life feeling comfortable about it because then you're never forced to stop and reflect. So, you know, having these conversations, even if there's spaces of discomfort, it keeps me optimistic. And I, and I certainly hope that these conversations continue and that you invite them willingly. I think, yeah, I think that's the only way that we can progress anywhere is to have open minds and open conversations because, and, and challenge any preconceived notions that we do have. And I mean, it's pretty, I mean, obviously DEI like initiatives are like, but that, I think that goes for anything really though. Like we, like this whole conversation was sure. Like, you know, there's, there's this tactical issue of like getting better um, diversity, better communication methods, you know, understanding like what biases we actually do carry, but also like, that's just general human, like us as humans, you know, like uh, we're all, um, we all just got to make sure like that we are making sure that we're entering that space of empathy and challenging any bias that we do have against any other person that's sitting across from us, because then we're going to have like the best cultures, the best organizations, and probably the most fun at work when we're all at the same spot. So well, it's taking what you said. We work on this stuff every single day. It's just, it's just pointing that, that arrow um, at the, this world, DEI and, and you'll solve it because we all have already the tools and, and I, and I love the conversation and it many times over, it was, well, I'm practicing that over here. I just need to start practicing that over here mm-hmm. and, and thinking that way when it comes to uh, diversity and inclusion versus that in a um, how to make someone promote someone from a, you know, a field to an air, a manager role, or just uh, train them to be better at the job they're doing. And, you know, and then hearing Macy's story about just being that advocate for folks. And so it is, um, so yeah, I, it, you, everybody, we all have these tools. It's just, you know, and, and I, and I think it's becoming, you know, there's a, there's a trending ish pieces here, which, you know, it's good when we're trending high, it comes out of mind when it goes away, you know, and we had, um, I, f- I forget the woman from site one that what runs their, their DEI. And, and, and Jen was telling me the other day that that podcast is growing in popularity. Uh, it's been quietly growing compared to some of the other ones that we've had, but it's been growing and, and we didn't know then that's good. And so, um, we just got to keep all these conversations a little higher up, right? It seems not mm-hmm. let them get lost, uh, lost too far down in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's a challenge, you know, I mean, we're learning how, how to do these things on a, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, there's, there's so much to learn. We're, we're continuously evolving species, you know, so it's like the work is never going to end. And as, as we continue to get better in certain arenas, you know, like, like even back in college, it's like, I finally get my, my grades up in this semester for this class. And then the rest of my class is now those gone down because I stopped concentrating on those, you know? And so it's, it is about creating that balance. And, um, but I think that if we are aware, and like you said, you can see a pathway on how you can take what you're probably already doing, and then concentrate those efforts in areas that need the support, that need kind of like that, that type of expertise that need your attention. You know, I mean, again, that's what would add to my optimism is, is if people can see it, if people can say to themselves, there's something that there's a part that I can play in this, then I, that, that's, that's, that's key. That's crucial. Hmm. I had an interesting conversation with a friend who's, um, 
he's actually heading up the um the i i forget his official title but anyways like three quarters of his job is at a, a larger tech company and it's managing the diversity and the inclusion aspect of their business from um in their hr department and uh he made this he had this interesting story of like where the ceo walked into they have a woman's council uh, at their company right it's a couple thousand employees um and there's about 25 women and, and the ceo who's a who's a male, um, walked in. He's like, man, this feels weird. Like he literally said that out loud. And uh, the response was, um, it's like, yeah, now you know what we feel like. Uh, that was, that was like, someone said that in the room and he's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I, I see now. So, um, I thought that was an amazing story because it was just like this, like moment of like, like, I don't think we realize sometimes that we think that we're being empathetic, but until we actually have that experience, that's the moment of true empathy of getting maybe like a taste. Um, and then maybe if you don't have an experience, the experience to get that taste to like empathize with somebody, I think it's really important to like hear and like really listen to the story and trust the story of where someone came from or where, what, like what they're, what they're telling you is like actually real and true. And, and you got to like, and, 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 and listen to that. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a story that like I heard. Yeah. Two days that's, ago. A, that's a really, really, really good story. Miles like that. That's a story to lead in, you know, like if you're ever having the conversation or there's a meeting or, or, you know, just the space of you're advocating for someone else. Right. And, and sometimes I always say, like we avoid saying things about race, about gender. Like, can we just sometimes make it plain? And we we don't like making it plain because we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody. And uh, I've been using my social capital in a way of just kind of saying the things that you you, you kind of know everybody's thinking. And so I've used a couple times just just in conversation. I was like, you ever walked into um, a place? And then it just so happened to be a whole bunch of black people in there and, and, and you were the only white person. I know you don't want to say that you felt awkward. I know you don't want to say that, but I'm sure that you felt real uncomfortable. And you don't want to say that you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to be pegged as a racist. Like, this, no, I no, 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 I felt fine. I felt fine. Come on now. You were uncomfortable. Okay, because I get uncomfortable when I walk into a room with a whole bunch of white people. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden I'm like, oh, which one of these people don't like me? You know, like somebody's not happy with me in here. Okay. And so I say that because, whew, can we just admit some of these things? Mm-hmm. And, and do we have those spaces to admit some of those things? But Miles, that's why I say that's a really good story because he's like, man, this feels weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to hold on to that one too, Miles. I think that was uh, has power and and flips the 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 perspective really really fast in an instant, right then, right. And so, yeah. I um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I um personally, I had that moment. Uh, I I photograph weddings on the side, and um, usually uh, here in DC. Um, you know, referral basis to track referral base, but I had, um, I had a black wedding that I photographed and that was, it's, it's totally different, right. Than like your normal, like Northern Virginia white couple, um, who like, you, and it was like, that was the moment in my, in my life where I was just like, oh yeah, this is it. This is like, it was an awesome experience because I learned so much. I made so many good friends from, from that experience. But, uh, 
but yeah, you're totally right. Like you just have to just like call it out, address it. And the more you, that you do it, the less awkward it becomes and the more that you can have open conversation about it. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that that's, that's the human space that we need to respect and explore more. You know, it just because you, just because we have those uncomfortable moments, it doesn't mean, it, it doesn't mean that we're bad people. It doesn't mean that we're racist. It, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It just means that we grow up in certain silos and, and, and that creates our, our, the way that we see the world sometimes. And we walk into those spaces, but how much do we hold that to a, a hardcore, you know, never changing definition of how we see other people or how we respect other people? That's the challenge. Um, stepping into these spaces and, and coming into it with, with an open mind, despite our own personal experiences. Well, let's, uh, let's move right into the rose and thorn because that is, uh, I want to hear, I want to hear everybody's, um, piece or Macy, why don't you kick it off? What, uh, what do you got for rose and thorn this week? My thorn is that in about 30 minutes, I am going to present my 2020 budget to Mike Bogan. Um, and my, yeah, it's that time of year. And my rose is that I have an awesome CEO, and so I am very lucky to walk into a very stressful situation, less stressed because of how awesome Mike Bogan is. Um, so very thankful and just ready to get this done and move on. So um, I wouldn't want to present a budget to Mike. <laughs> I'm gonna text him. I'm gonna text him right now. Yeah, uh, I heard there's lots of powerpoints at slides that got a lot of widgets and noises in it. So just enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Sit back, relax. Right. It's going to be great. Well, cool. So um, what about a, a Rose? Or did it, was that the, did I hear Rose? Do you guys hear? The Rose was that she had a good CEO. Okay. There. Oh. She, she built a brownie point. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if Mike's going to hear this in the next 30 yeah. minutes, but, it, yeah, but yeah. he will after the fact. <laughs> well, after, and then he'll be upset if he grills me about something. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be, uh, it'll be great. Well, well, next week we'll get to hear the results of your uh, budget conversation. Oh, it, cool. it could be a rose. It could be a thorn. We'll <laughs> Sorry, good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Shahara, how about you? See, so I've been on this workout journey. And so I would have to say that my thorn is that I want to sleep all day. Like I just, I've been in a space where all I want to do is nap and watch the office and law and order. That's, that is like my ideal, like I want to be there. Like, I don't know what's happening. So my, I call that my thorn because when I've got work to do, when I, when I want to be productive and I got stuff that needs to get done, that is the, quite the opposite. So I, my thorn is just kind of like that internal battle of wanting to take a nap and watch TV all day. Um, that's really been getting me. But the rose, I think the reason why I've been wanting to sleep so much is because I have been doing a complete overhaul. I'm doing this 30-day Thanksgiving turkey challenge with the gym that I go to. And for the first time ever, I am counting macros. Yeah. I've heard yeah, that before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm and I'm lifting a lot more. So I think that my body is expelling a lot more energy and it's just changing. And and I feel good that I've been committing to that and I've been consistent with it. 
Uh, so that is my rose. And, and then because of it, I just want to nap all day. And that's my thorn. It's working, right? You You're, you're... I got muscles growing. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think, you know, Casey, I, I feel really Our good listeners, about it. Shahara just, just flex for us. Oh, I flex my muscles. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I bounced yeah. my bicep. <laughs> I, I went up, I went up quite girl. a bit. Yeah, that was yeah. significant. Yeah. That's like my trick. I pull this out at parties, actually. <laughs> I say, you want to see something? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> okay. I can't follow that one. Miles, you go next. <laughs> yeah, you have to follow that one, buddy. Um, well, I mean, uh, let's see, you're a thorn. Um, went to the funeral service today, which is, you know, it's, it was, that, was, that was a thorn for sure. It's a bummer, but uh, it's always good to see friends um, in that uh, arena. It brings it a lot of things uh, into perspective, which is good. Um, Rose um, is that I got like nine days until I run a half marathon. It's just sick. So, um, so Shahara, I've been on this running journey um, the past like four months now. And uh, so I totally feel you. I have a new appreciation for food but, um, when I versus working out and lifting running. is just like, it just like, it just like burns it all. So like, I'm just like carbs. Awesome. Protein. Awesome. Just like the whole thing, just like constant. It's been great. So it's really uh, opened up my eyes into uh, a whole new world. But anyways, it's very exciting. It'll be a cool course. Hopefully the weather is good. And um Where's the marathon or what marathon is it? Uh, it's a DC half marathon. Uh, it's rock and roll. So what we'll do is like, well, it starts off down by the mall. Um, and then we run up uh, in the park. There's a huge hill. And then it goes through some of the uh, neighborhoods. It'll go right, right past my neighborhood up here in Northwest and then just run. And then it's kind of downhill back and finishes by the Capitol or finishes by the uh, old stadium. So mm-hmm. um, good luck. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. I've, um, I've run 13 miles more, but I'm just trying to run this fast. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it goes well. We don't know. It will. You are, you're going to kill it. You have no choice because you're going to know you're going to have to talk about it on this podcast. So you bet you have only nothing but good results that must come right, out of that one. Right. I got to come on and say like, yeah, I won. Um, right. I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're not in the age group that necessarily is always the fun one to like compete against, right? Like you're, that is, we expect the prime age yeah, group. Yeah, I am in the prime age group. So you need to be, we all need to get to like the 80 plus and then maybe we got a chance. But then there's some <laughs> impressive, impressive 80 year olds out there, I suppose too. So <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, you all have some good rows and throats. I don't really have anything that exciting. Uh, just we're excited about winter up here. Uh, and I have to use the word excited. It's the only way to get through it. Um, and, uh, and the thorn could be if that snow shows up before Thanksgiving and our operators and our machines and everybody's not hired, like that could be because snow that's this whole year has been a struggle with the green size of pe- putting people in seats and keeping things going. Uh, when it comes to winter, if you're not out there that minute, to plow that piece of snow, then you got some problems. And so uh, there's a sense of urgency uh, behind behind all that. And so um, we fight the good fight. This isn't our first year in rodeo, so we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, but that could be a little prickly. We'll Brad, I lived in Chicago for 13 years. 
Mm. I know. I have five fur coats. That okay. sucks. Chicago <laughs> winter blows. Chicago is <laughs> the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chicago people. The winters there are depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you're right. We, we I think we become I'm going to find the stat, but we don't see sun for like months. It's just gray, right? Today is gray. And, and, and it, it has that, that depression can happen. I, you know, I read, started reading them. I'm like, you know, I think that's real. So then you got to get away. You got to have some fun, you know, good that the family skis embrace the winter. So the mountains are open out the West. I see them going. So there's, mm-hmm. there's good positive uh, things happening with winter time too. Yeah. So, uh, well, cool. This was a fantastic conversation today. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And and whenever you want me back, you just shoot me an email. We can talk about all types of stuff. Because I am actually, like after the conference, I was like, I never really thought about perhaps the vastness of, of the landscaping industry. So now my oh. ears are going to perk up and I'm probably going to end up reading articles. Oh, oh we're cool. We're really, <laughs> really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a good it's 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 an awesome industry to be part of. So, um, awesome. Yeah, thanks. And uh, also, thank you to our listeners for all your support. Feel free to uh, share, subscribe to you know the whole family members, coworkers, anybody who finds value in this. This is a great conversation. I'm definitely going to share this one. This is cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a good rest of the week, and I'll see you next week. Care one.